Thanks for joining us today on the Port City Church Podcast. With multiple campuses existing within Southeastern North Carolina, our mission is to be helpful and hopeful as we reach people and help them walk with God. To learn more about the heart behind our church, we encourage you to visit us at portcity.church. Good morning. If uh, you have been uh, been around for the last five weeks, we've been talking about the Lord's Prayer, and just we have uh, heard and recited together. And our goal is not just to learn how to recite it really well, but rather to learn how to pray this prayer. And the reason is because um, you know I've been doing this for about two and a half months now, learning how to pray and recite the Lord's Prayer. I've been trying to do it three times a day, uh, trying to mostly successful morning and night. Uh, more uh, rhythmically getting an afternoon uh, time in as well. But learning how to use this simple prayer, um, these words that Jesus instructed us to pray as a foundation for what it means to commune with God, to sort of live in a way of continual prayer, to constantly be aware and looking and seeing as we sort of use these words uh, to frame that. So that's where we have been. We have also gave you uh, last week, uh, a prayer guide. I hope some of you got this last week. You were able to use this. Uh, we're two, uh, two uh, sort of um, exercises into this. We talked about his will. We talked about our worship. And this morning, we'll talk about his provision and uh, proximity, those two ideas. And there's uh, exercises. If you didn't get one, you can pick one up. You can download them uh, on the website as well. It's been a really uh, rich experience for me, and we want to uh, sort of share that experience together. Um, before we jump in um, to uh, the time today the, the, uh, in the Lord's Prayer, I want to just pause and take a moment um, to pray for you know, our friends, uh, people that we may know and may not know who were affected by uh, the tornadoes in the Midwest. Uh, I think all of us woke up yesterday morning and saw the devastation there. And as mentioned earlier in our services, that um, we do have a really great partnership with Convoy, which allows mobilization and people on the ground really, really quickly uh, to help with a lot of the much needed uh, sort of sorting through food, uh, debris removal, things like that that are, that are needed. So they mobilize people really, really quickly. But we also recognize um, there are uh, people who have lost not only their stuff, but they've lost uh, family members, uh, friends, and there is nothing you tangibly do um, in those moments. So we just want to take a moment to pause and, uh, you know, we've learned that God invites us to bring our requests and our petitions to him. So that's what we're going to do, if you'll join me as we pray. Father, we want to uh, stop and pause right now and just bring our request um, to you in amid uh, unexplainable um, you know, circumstances. Just how this happens is beyond our capacity to understand. We live in a world um, where, you know, there's just loss and devastation and there are people who uh, we know, who are uh, friends of those that we know, and then there are hosts of people that we don't know their names. Um, their lives are, are uprooted. Um, a lot of their homes and possessions are destroyed and strewn all across um, the place. Uh, so, Father, as we you know, recognize that, we just ask that you would do things, that you would be with the people who are doing things, give them strength. Um, all the things that are, that are necessary, but there are also those for whom we can't really do anything. Would you meet them in those places? To meet them in their loss, we pray for strength that you give, and we pray for a peace that you 
uh, tell us transcends our ability to comprehend these things. We just ask you to do that, that you would be seen um, as God and as a good father and as one who cares and is near to the brokenhearted. Father, would you uh, begin the process of causing or creating beauty from ashes, literally ashes. And so we ask for that, Father. We ask you to meet them. Uh, We ask for grace sufficient for them and that somehow our prayers will be used to shoulder and buttress and strengthen them as well. We lift this to you of your son, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, guys. Um, We've been using the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we have been, uh, specifically this morning, we're going to talk about the idea that his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. This is sort of the prayer of earth and of bread. This is the prayer of sort of wants and pursuit and power and provision and capacity. And this is a really kind of a a sticky place for us. And I hope that you'll be um, as challenged as I have been. So I'm going to do this. I've been really like bothered by this. I'm going to try to bother you with equal uh, weight of which I've been bothered. And as we've learned to pray this, what we've learned is this prayer isn't so much about Jesus teaching us how to pray in order to get answers. But we're learning how to pray this prayer in such a way that our perspective is shaped or framed, that what we see is differently. And that as what we see becomes different, what we want becomes different. This is the challenge. This is the hardest part of this prayer. Because most of us, the way we sort of live is we want something. And then there is the idea that we get what we want, right? We get what we want. And so there's this space between these two things. And all of us know this. You have this desire and then you have the space between that desire and when that desire is fulfilled. We know this, right? It doesn't matter what it is that you want. Uh, Maybe you want a better job or you want more money or you want a spouse or you want whatever it is that you want. And you just sort of say, okay, here's what I want. You start figuring out how you get what you want. And then you leverage all of your power, all of your energy, all of your will in order to get that. And this is sort of the place that we live in. And I think the challenge for a lot of us, and this is what I'm going to try to kind of push into this morning, is a lot of us don't have any real sense or anything that governs what we want. I always think about this. I've got this kind of crazy idea uh, for a book that I'm probably never going to write, but it's called Live Like You're Driving. Um, And the reason is because you can tell a lot about, like the, the whole world can be seen in a quick trip down College Road or whatever the main street is that you live on. Just drive down, you'll see all kinds of things. You'll see people who are all about themselves. You'll see people who are courteous. You'll see people who ain't got a clue. You'll see all those things in between. Now, I want to confess, um, I'm going to sound a little bit judgmental uh, in my uh, driving skills this morning. I don't mean any offense to anyone who's a bad driver. Um, I acknowledge that I am not a good driver. I'm one of the very few people who actually acknowledge that. Most of you think you're good drivers and you're not. It would be better if you just get the truth on the table. So I'm just doing that today, kind of modeling that. Um, and, and so I thought about this because whenever you're driving, some of you drive slow and some of you drive fast. Any heavy-footed uh, people in here? Yeah, if you, okay, now anybody sitting next to them that knows they're heavy-footed and they didn't raise their hand, right? Those kind of people? So yeah, we, we don't acknowledge this because no, of course, we all drive perfectly. So what happens is the question is what governs your speed? What governs your speed? It's more than likely not your um, it's not your driving skills. Like, you don't go, I'm not a good driver. I probably shouldn't drive 70. 
I'm not a good driver. I probably shouldn't drive 55 here. I mean, I'm not, we, we just go, nope. Sometimes it's the speed limit, right? Um, you like have some reverence for the fact that people paid attention and tried to put together a system of laws and rules. Like, hey, it's really a good idea to drive 45 miles around this road, right? Some of you, that's like your heart. Anybody? And then others of you, it's just like, well, ain't nobody in front of me. So I'm just gonna go as fast as I go until someone's in front of me and then I have to slow down. Now you're not mad at them. That's just, there's no governor. Now there's another way. I'm, I have a, a, a 1989 Volvo station wagon I've had for 22 years. It's uh, really old. And I drive 45 because that's the speed that my car likes. <laughs> it just likes it. So if you're driving behind me, I'm going 45 miles an hour. I apologize because it's just, it's like when you scratch a dog behind its ear, it's like, oh, that's what I like. That's what my car just likes, 45. But there's all kinds of things that govern what we want. And without that, right, without this, we are free to basically use whatever power we have to get whatever it is that we want. And for some of you, it's charm and prowess or intellect. For some, it's manipulation. For some, it's sort of, you know, you, you, I mean, there's all kinds of different ways that we use this, this power, our will, to get what it is that we want. And this, this, this prayer particularly pushes against all this. We're going to look at a particular place. And Jesus said, when he taught us to pray, and he said, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He wasn't giving us a magic wand to say, we have the authority to, to just wave a wand and then whatever God wants will happen here. It wasn't what the prayer is about. It was, a, it, was a, it was a reminder that what God intends has a proximity to it. That he wants something to happen here in the place where we live, where you live, even if it's between here and here. We live in this place. The Bible's full of stories where we're waiting, we're longing. There's a promise, there's a promise fulfilled, there's a big gap in between them. All this language is in here. The wandering in the wilderness is a part of this. When Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread, there would have been a really profound sort of picture that every first century Hebrew would have had in their brain as they thought about give us this daily bread. They had a picture of wandering in the desert and getting manna enough for that day for provision, not to mention all the other things that they had to go through to sort of get their food and live off this idea of daily bread. We don't have that in our culture. Most of us, even if you're not wealthy, you don't live daily bread to daily bread. You have like a grocery list. You have like a week's worth of groceries in your house, right? You have, you have weekly bread, maybe monthly bread. Some of us, if we, have, we have a lot more than what we need. So we don't have a real good picture for that. So what does this mean? I think also what, what I want to look at today is when Jesus was teaching about this, he had a particular sort of thing that he had already dealt with. We're going to look at this today in Matthew chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. That's what we'll be looking today. But I want for us to sort of consider that to do this on earth means there's something has to happen in front of us. And for us to see that, for us to see that, for us to participate in that, isn't just about you doing it. It's about you wanting it. It's about can God do something in you that changes what it is that you want? This is what I want for us to explore in this. We don't really have a sense of anything that governs our wants. And so that's a part of what we're going to talk about today. But the other thing that I think that, that holds us back or sort of keeps us from seeing this is a lot of us, when we think about what it is that we want, we look at the world around us and we see it sort of as a, as a pie. And there's a limited amount of stuff. And so what we decide is that if we're going to get our piece of the pie, right, we better leverage our power to get what we want because if we don't, someone else is going to get it. If we don't, someone else is going to get it. 
And for some of you who are more ambitious, you decided that one piece isn't enough for you, that you want two. And you recognize that you are more than willing to push on someone else to take theirs so that you can have more. We don't do this maliciously or we, we do it in the name of capitalism or, or we do it in the name of sort of free market. We do it in the name of all these things. All these things are a part of our culture and they're totally fine. It's not that they're wrong. The question isn't, is it right or wrong? The question is what governs how you use your power to get what you want. That's the question. I think that's what Jesus is asking. Some of you are gonna hear this morning, and I wanna ask you, I'm gonna mention some things. I'm not talking about any political systems. I'm not talking about any political philosophies. I'm not talking about that. I'm asking God, can you help us reimagine a way of life in the world in which we live, on earth here? I'm all for creating jobs. I'm all for those things. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about God, can you help us reimagine a way of life on earth in the place where you have granted us dwelling so that we can leverage what we've been given in a way that actually brings that to bear here. So just, just I want you to, to be able to reimagine this, to consider this, to think about this, and let's do this um, together. This right here is perhaps one of the most profound things that I've, I've kind of come across is just this thinking about for the last few years reading about this, most people they write about, and really I wouldn't tell you, the temptation in the desert that Jesus faces, we're gonna look at in Matthew four, is about when Jesus is tempted, uh, Satan tempts him to turn stones into bread. And most every writer and theologian and uh, commentator who writes about this talks about this idea of scarcity versus abundance. That somehow we buy into this idea of scarcity where there's a limited amount and you better get what you want or else you're not gonna have it. And that just presses us to compete with everybody else, to go into all the other things that are so you know, prevalent in our culture and oftentimes undermine us becoming who we want to be. Uh, Henry Nouwen, who's a kind of famous writer, he talks about the idea of the kingdom of God or this way of life with Jesus as a house of love, as a place where there is abundance, where there's more than enough and there's a freedom to give and to share in community. And this is how the Bible teaches us and instructs us. It's hard for us to understand or to think about this in our current systems. And I recognize that it's hard for me. That's why we're asking God. He's teaching us how to pray. Lord, help us to pray this. And uh, another guy I was reading this past week, I saw this about two weeks ago. Uh, his name is Brian Zahn. He wrote a book called When Everything's on Fire. And he says that wars, big and small, all sorts of conflict, they constantly break out in the house of fear. He contrasts this house of love with the house of fear. And it's the center point of all kinds of conflicts and wars and violence. He says, in the house of fear, the illusion of scarcity dominates. There's never enough in the house of fear. So its inhabitants think they have to fight for their share. In the house of fear, we cannot welcome the stranger or care for the poor because they may get for themselves what belongs to us or what we can take for ourselves. And then he says this, and I love this because this is what we're gonna see, exactly what we're gonna see in Jesus' encounter. He talks about the Satan. It's the name that is given for the embodiment of evil in the very beginning. And he says this, the Satan, as the instigator and the insider of anxiety. Listen to this. The one who has come to steal, kill, and destroy incites anxiety. He rules this diabolical house. It is a dysfunctional household where every other occupant is viewed as a potential rival, a competitor. And if you grew up with brothers, you know this is not hard to imagine, right? It's like when there's food on the table, you better get everything you can. 
Because anger means left, and whatever's left, you got to, like, do we know this? this is, it's like there's a limited, we got to better get it while we can. It's a competitor to be best, bested. It's a contestant to be conquered. In this dreadful house, friendships are mostly calculated alliance. Alliances and people are a disposable means to a selfish end. This is the essence of what sin does. It separates, it pulls us apart. It continually does that. It continually makes you question other people, question their motives, question your own sort of capacity. And it forces us to use our power to get what we want. And then if we have enough left over, we're happy to share it. But before then, right, don't get in our way. What this whole thing I think is about is us learning how to see something, to want something differently. What happens to us is that there's this sort of cycle of desire that goes unchecked. Now, for generations, and the Bible calls us idolatry, we set up these things that we pursue and chase to be elite, for, that gain our allegiance and our worship. And we say it's success or it's significance or it's some other thing that when we get this, then we will have arrived, then we'll have life, and we sort of chase that the whole time. And what happens though, you know, 15, 20 years ago, you would chase it all day. You come home and you're sort of left with your thoughts at night. You could recalibrate. And now you don't have to recalibrate anymore. There's actually no space to recalibrate. Because now once the chase is over in the daytime, when you're actually, your time and your attention is occupied, you come back home and you can pick up your phone. And we have an endless scroll that just continues to beckon us forward. There's no relief from the chase. I was thinking about this because this is kind of what it looks like that we don't even realize what's happening to us. I, I thought there's sort of the idolatry of our careers, the idolatry of relationships. There's also sort of a digital idolatry. And what digital idolatry does, and this happens whether it's Netflix, whether it's the TV, whether it's, it's a whole host of things, what it does is it sets you up to crave more than anything. And then it just gives you an endless list of things to crave and it just creates a loop and a loop and a loop and a loop. And you end up in this kind of position that you wonder what in the world happened. We have um, a, 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 a dog. I don't have a dog. My daughter and son-in-law have a dog. His name is Baxter. Baxter is a ginormous yellow lab. He's doofy as they come. He's got a big old tail. Like he'll walk around and knock stuff off. And he's just big and he's nice and he's funny. He's kind of goofy. He's a little snotty because if you don't have something for him, he'll just like, and you call him, he'll just hit you with a side eye. It's like you're sitting there like kind of prim and proper. He's just like, he won't turn his head. He just looks at you like kind of side eye. But one of the things, he's got some really bizarre habits, but the, one of the most bizarre habits uh, is that um, if you're sitting around and Baxter's there, he'll kind of get calmed down. If you start doing this, he'll start, watch this, check it out, that's what he does. We were doing this last night. And he got it. Right? And this, this, what happened, this is what a lot of us look like. We're like just chasing our tail. And then we catch it, we're like, oh, what are we gonna do now? And we end up so disoriented. And what's worse is that we've actually gotten to accustomed, we've gotten used to being disoriented. And nothing stops us, nothing sort of prevents us. So this, this prayer, this reorientation, I think, is what Jesus is doing. That somehow when he says to us, our daily bread, there's, a, there's something underneath this that we've got to get to. We've got to understand. We've got to sort of sense here. 
Because what happens is when we chase our tails, our wants are oftentimes the easiest, most natural things that we are prone to want. It's low-hanging fruit. And what I love what John Mark Comer says about this, he wrote a book called Live No Lies. He says that you have to realize, you have to be, you have to understand that your strongest desires are not your deepest desires. And we all know this to be true. The desires that we can satisfy in our lust, in our sort of capacity to just grab whatever we need, the low-hanging fruit, does not touch what is underneath. And it often only provides us with an escape. And so how is it we get to these deeper desires? How is it that we get underneath the things? Because some of you, you've been chasing your whole life and you find what, what I thought about is we don't actually fulfill our desires or we don't find satisfaction. What happens is our desires are occupied. There's just space, they just occupy our desires and it just keeps us thinking that maybe the next time it's just, it's, it's almost like a, a more, um, a sort of pseudo addiction that doesn't, it just keeps us chasing endlessly and we're sort of occupied with this capacity we have. And then we have endless ways and creative ways to do this. That there's a longing that we have to discover that is beyond or deeper than the easiest thing that we desire. And all of you know this, all of us know this. When we wake up in the morning, the easiest things to desire are not the things that most of us know that we really want at a deeper, if you just sort of take a moment to consider this. When Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread, he's not just saying provide for us enough today. He's saying, teach us how to trust your provision. And this is a whole other level of praying. Um, Mary Jo Letty, she's a Catholic writer, theologian. She adds this to talking about this idea of scarcity and abundance. She actually calls it superabundance. She says, the economics of God's love is not based on the law of scarcity. The economics of God's love isn't based on the law of scarcity, but rather it's rooted in the mystery of superabundance. That God has the capacity to endlessly provide. And then she writes this, the personal or political decision to declare that there is not enough is the beginning of social cruelty of war and violence on a petty or a vast scale. As soon as you think or believe that there's not enough, you set yourself out on a course to figure out how am I gonna get it then? This, this is sort of undermines many things. And this is what I love. She writes this. On the other hand, the choice to affirm that there is enough for all is the beginning for social community, for peace and for justice. So Jesus comes in, I think is what he's teaching us. In Matthew chapter four, let's read this together. Then Jesus was led by the spirit. This is Matthew chapter four, verses one through four. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. I mean, he sends him out there. God leads him in this. This is an, this is an act of God bringing him out there for 40 days uh, to be tempted by the devil. And verse two, after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, this is kind of an understatement, he was hungry. I fast for like four hours and I'm hungry. Anybody get hangry? You like don't eat. Some of you are already there, man. It's like 1147. You're already like, can't, if he talks much longer, I'm out of here. Like you're ready to kill somebody now because we, get, we, we can't take it. I think it's really interesting. This, you see this theme through the Bible that, that he mentions this multiple times. They were without food or there had been a long period where they were hungry. He's saying there's something in us, in our guts that, that wants something. You're not indifferent. You're not, when you're hangry, you're not like, oh, eat. you'll eat anything. You'll eat anything. And so he mentions this, 40 days and 40 nights, and Jesus was hungry. 
He was real hungry. And then he goes on. And the tempter came and says to him, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread or turn these stones to, be, to, to bread. Now, most of us read this and we're familiar with the Bible. And so it just reads like a Bible story. There's something more. The tempter comes, he says, if you're the son of God, do this. Meaning, if you don't do this, you're not the son of God. You're kind of denying your identity. He kind of sets him up with a trap, which is always what temptation looks like. But what he's saying to Jesus is, aren't you hungry? And you have the capacity to get what you want. Why don't you use your power to get what you want? Why don't you use your power? You can turn these stones into bread. Why don't you use your power to get what you want? Now think about this question for you. Because most of us, it's not even a question that we ask. It's just, I want it. I have the capacity to get it, so I got it. I did it. Nothing governs it. How is it? What would keep you from using your power to get what you want, especially when you're hungry? And what Jesus reveals to us is something really profound. He actually quotes from Deuteronomy chapter eight. Let's keep reading. He says, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. So Jesus answered him, it is written. And he's referring to Deuteronomy chapter eight, which we're gonna read in our personal retreat. You might wanna go read it this week. It's a powerful um, passage about this whole idea. But Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And this story was found in Deuteronomy 8, where the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness and God promised to feed them with manna. You have perhaps heard this story before. And they're like, we don't have any food. We don't have any way to, you know, God, what are you doing? Bring us out here to die. And God's like, I'll take care of you. I'll rain down manna from heaven. And manna comes down. And he says, just get enough for the day. Just get enough for the day. And when he tells them, when he recalls this, he says, I put them in the wilderness and I allowed them to hunger I allowed them to hunger deeply. You know why? So that they would learn that, every, that they do not live by bread alone, but they learn to live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, most of us have a picture of this in our minds. And it basically means don't eat Oreos, open your Bible and read. We don't live by bread alone. You should read your Bible more. And although I don't think it's a bad thing, I think that's a very short application of this. It's a short way to think about this. When he says, man does not live by bread alone, I used to sort of interpret this as though it's Oreos or the Bible. And he's basically saying, you don't live by Oreos alone. Bread is fine, but you don't live by bread alone. When Jesus said he was, when, when, when uh, they recorded in Deuteronomy, that they were put in the desert to hunger so they would learn that they don't live by bread alone. And Jesus says the same things. Why don't you turn these stones into bread? Why don't you use your power to get what you want? He says, I'm denying myself in order to learn that I want something differently. That's what he's modeling. And most of us have no tolerance for this. And the reason is because we have the power and the capacity at our hand to satisfy almost any indulgence that we feel. And now at almost any moment. You ever wonder like how potent these verses are. If you want to follow me, you let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That somehow what he is calling us to do isn't just to sort of self-harm uh, and to, to sort of punish ourselves. He's calling us to deny these lesser desires in order to awaken other ones. 
This happened to me this past week as I was thinking about this. And unfortunately, too many of us have no sort of experience this because we are so quick. As soon as we are sort of bored or intolerant or we're, we, we want God's presence, we would say we want God's presence, but we haven't experienced because we have all this space in between that we can entertain ourselves or pull out. I was in this this past week. I was sitting there praying and I was like, God, um, our Father in heaven, I was praying, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I was trying to just get myself, Lord, show me your glory. Like we learned last week, show me your glory. Let me see you. And I remember like the next thought is this like insatiable urge to check my phone or to get the remote control and go see what's on Netflix or check a score. Is, is that bad or wrong? No, it's not bad or wrong. But here's what I had to do. Because you know what the natural part of me would do? Is pick up your phone. That's the easiest thing. Just pick up your phone. Oh, I meant to be praying. And so what I realized, I had to kind of write this out. God, I'm asking you to show me your glory. But I would prefer to see what's on Netflix. I would prefer that. And you're sort of having this inner dialogue in your, in your head. And you're wondering, like, what's wrong with me? And what I had to do is to say, okay, so what do I do in those moments? I have to deny myself something that I want and that I have the power to fix or to occupy so that something else emerges. So that something else emerges. So that some other want sort of begins to surface. And we can find out actually what the psalmist talks about and how these things begin to work. But make no mistake about it. You will not experience this without going through hunger pains. Most of us, as soon as it starts, we're out. Even if it's just the pain of turning your phone over or the pain of putting the remote control somewhere else or the pain of going outside or getting up early or doing whatever it is that you have to do to say, God, show me your glory and help me stay here until I want it. Do you believe that he could awaken that in you? What most of us are doing is saying, God, can you turn these stones into bread? I know this is never gonna satisfy me because somehow you make this satisfy me. Could you just make me feel better by doing this even though I know it will never, can you turn stones into bread? And Jesus didn't do that. Because he said there's some hunger that we need to feel that awakens something else. You know what he says in the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they'll be satisfied. And perhaps the question, and it's just a question you might want to just give some thought to. We know what it's like to hunger for Chick-fil-A, especially on a Sunday. We know what it's like to hunger for like your team to win. We know what it's like to hunt. Some of you know better than others depending on who you root for. Um, I'm just kidding. We all know what it's like to want things that lie just out of, outside of our grasp. So how do we learn to want and thirst and hunger for righteousness, for who God is, for his glory, for his work, for his will. The thing is, show up at a beautiful meal after a bag full of Cheetos and it doesn't hit the same. It's hard to enjoy, right, Thanksgiving dinner when your belly's full of Cheetos or whatever it is you like. 
I think the same thing is true. It's hard for us to hunger, to fill up on righteousness when we are so full of everything else. This is the challenge. How do we let these lesser desires dissipate in order for God to satisfy the deeper ones? I want to just kind of walk us through. We're going to just read these passages and then make a declaration, and we're going to kind of close our time declaring something together. And this is, again, the scriptures are full of imagery and phrases and psalms and poems like this. And so as I'm praying, I just like, God, can you help me, you know, show me your glory, can you help me see you? And you read Psalm 107, verse 9. It says this, for he satisfies the longing soul. He satisfies the longing soul. And the hungry soul he fills with good things. Do you think that the good things that he's going to fill your soul with might perhaps be different than the good things that you would occupy your desires with? Are you willing to wait? Are you willing to deny those lesser desires so that your soul can actually begin to find and fill on the good things that God has? Psalm 17, verse 15 as for me, it's just kind of a line in the sand. As for me, this can be my decision. I shall behold your face in righteousness. Let me see you, show me your glory. And when I awake, when I rise, when I step up, I will be satisfied with your likeness. So somehow it will be enough to recognize your image in my life. It will bring a measure of satisfaction, wholeness, fulfillment. And Psalm 70, I think, is a great prayer Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. Just, just let your love be lavished upon me so they will bring about a rejoicing and a gladness. We all know this is the language of the scriptures. You know Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, what? I shall not want. There's a fullness and a satisfaction that has been made available to us. Jesus' promises, I have come that they might have life to the full. And we're just chasing our, our tail, right? We're just spinning in circles. It says that man shall not live by bread alone, which means that bread isn't bad. It's just an invitation for us to learn how to live beyond that. We all want our bread, and most of us have the power to get it. And he's like, could you hold off to see if you can find something else? I think that's the call. That's the challenge. It's interesting that he says, um, man shall not live by bread alone. We're learning that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but most of us stop and we just assume that it's the Bible. And that's not wrong or bad. But what does the words that come from the mouth of God do? Have you ever thought about this? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How did he do it? God said, let there be light. He spoke. His words create. He says, don't, don't, don't satisfy yourself with things that can't create the new life that you're intended to live. Don't stop short. Let those desires go so that new ones, deeper ones, real ones, whole ones can emerge and to reorient ourselves, this prayer serves to reorient and to reimagine a way of life where this is true, where his provision 
can be trusted and that his promise of enough is more than enough. I used to think that God would give me enough by giving me a bunch that I could trust 10 years from now. And that's not his economy. He just gives me enough for this and then enough for this and then enough for this. Two declarations I want to close with. This is from the first part of the Lord's Prayer and this one's from the second. Last week we talked about this. We've gotta be convinced of this. That we're gonna declare that his presence is more important than his direction. God, show me your glory. And I'm gonna sit here until I can see it. I recognize I'm gonna be entertained or pulled by other things that are more appealing or that are easier in their appeal. But can you let me sit here? I hope some of you have to turn your phone over or put the remote control in the refrigerator or whatever it is you have to do. To go, God, let me sit here for a little while longer till you can awaken these desires. So that his presence is more important than what he tells you you're supposed to do. And the second is this, that we declare that you will give us everything that we need to do everything that you want, to do everything that you want. We confess these things, believing these things, and trusting these things. You are not designed to live by bread alone. It's not bad to get bread. Just don't stop there. You, you, you allow yourself to hunger and to want until the hunger that you're made for, right, begins to well up. Hunger for righteousness, thirst for righteousness, because this is the place where we find satisfaction. Withholding desire and learning how to deny ourselves, not in order to punish ourselves or to prove to God how pious we are, but rather to learn that there's a way of life that flows from his promise and his sufficiency and his provision. And then what you learn is that, oh my gosh, there's enough. And when you learn that he is enough, what you find is that is absolutely more than enough. So we're gonna close with a, with a song. And I, I love this song for multiple reasons. One is it has sort of fatherly image in it. And just as God, you know, I don't, I wasn't, I don't have to do anything to make you proud. And then it calls him Jireh. And this is what Abraham called him when God miraculously provided for him. He said, you are the God who provides. And I want us to confess that and to declare that this morning, that he can be trusted to provide for you, to fill you, to do what he wants to do in and through you. And when he does that in you and you and you and you, and you right? He begins to do that in us. So we wanna declare those things to him today. Our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. Father, I ask that you would let us see you and begin to be awakened to some of the deeper things that we long for. I know there are men and women, students in this room that are chasing so many things. God, I pray that in their hunger, in the pains of hunger, something else would awaken, a deeper desire. Father, I ask you to meet us in this moment as we declare these things to you in faith, asking you to help us, to show us, to be for us. 
And I'll lift all of this in the name of your son, Jesus, who is our king. Why don't you stand with me as we close our time together?